Welcome to CooperCast, the Wrecking Crew episode. This is your host, Al's pickup truck, John Sachs. We talk about the famous L.A. studio musicians, the Wrecking Crew, the Nashville Cats from Blonde on Blonde, and a bit about artistic success versus commercial success. After each question, Nelly the Dog adds a final comment. Here's a question from uh, PKBYA at whatever his email is. Has Al ever recorded with the Wrecking Crew, the L.A.-based studio musicians who provided the music for hundreds of popular songs? What is his opinion of their place in rock and roll history? Well, they were very important if you used studio musicians in Los Angeles. Yeah. And they were very hard to get because they worked all the time. Right. I had worked with most of them because I I would record in Los Angeles every now and then. And I would try to get them because they're they're very good. I just saw online that uh, Carol Kay is still kicking and playing at 80-something. Yeah, I mean, so would I if that was going on here. Right. But it's not. Does Al have an opinion about how fairly the Wrecking Crew was treated by the music industry? Didn't matter. They made a fortune. They got double, triple scale. Right. And they worked uh, four sessions a day. Triple scale means? that uh, Scale is, let's say, $50. Okay. They would get uh, $150. Simply because they were in demand? Because they were the ones. They were the ones, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's an off-the-wall comparison. So the Wrecking Crew obviously was like incredibly confident and really good at the work. Did it feel kind of like the guys in Nashville? Who, in what? Did it feel like they were kind of on the same level as those Nashville guys who recorded uh, Blonde on Blonde just totally? They were. They were the same kind of guys, but yeah. not so country-flavored. Right. Yeah. Well, let's just say that the, the Nashville guys yeah. could play anything. Right. No, well, as we saw, they played for Dylan, and it wasn't particularly country. It wasn't country at all. Exactly. And and the songs were uh, uh, not in one particular uh, category. Right. And uh, I thought it was very smart of him to go down there Yeah. because it was like that. But it, it, but it was not in any way, shape, or form a country album like he did later. Later, he went back to Nashville and he did Nashville Skyline Wreck, and that was like yeah. But um, but this was this was different, and uh, it's funny because I still listen to it. Oh, you do listen to Blonde and Blonde? Yes, it's a good record. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's ama- it's amazing, and I was uh, that was my first Nashville trip, right? And I was amazed. By them, yeah, and they were terrific people. Yeah, so it was very comfortable for me because I was sort of the leader, right? Because I, I was the only one that knew the song, right? So I would teach them the song, and then Bob would come in. It's amazing. We have three whole episodes about it, but it's such a peak of Dylan's career that I still listen to it. So do I. I have my favorites. There's a few songs I don't like that much, but there's other songs that when I listen to them, my brain just, you know, like I'm a freak. No, for... I mean, I've, I've, I listened, I've listened to it a lot. 
Yeah. Oh, it's it's a great record. <laughs> oh, by the way, you and I had a discussion a while ago about. I thought that when you sang somebody else's music live at a gig that you had to pay. And you said you didn't have to pay. And people have been chiming in on this. Uh, the promoter would have to play, pay. The promoter? Yes. Somebody has to pay. If, if, if it was uh, carefully monitored. Okay. But I don't feel that it's ever been carefully monitored in the league that I'm in. Okay. He, he's this guy. I um, mean, if you play Madison Square Garden. Okay. That's another league. Right. Five times the amount of people are attending. Right. It, yes, and because Five of that. Five times yes. the amount of money is being made. Right. And they could afford to pay that. Right. Whereas the, the places that I played in, <laughs> you know, we're, we're never going to do that. Right. Well, let me let me just say something because this will be informative to, yes. to our audience. And we'd like to be informative <clears throat> if we can't be funny. So, if you uh, in the days that I made albums uh, for let's say Columbia Records. Yeah. Those records cost a fortune to make. <laughs> right. And regardless of the fact they, that they were cut at Columbia Studios, yeah. I was still billed for them. Right, not personally, but to your account. Yes, and, and I wasn't allowed to record anywhere else but Columbia Studios. Sure. So, you know, that's an interesting noose. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you talked about how you would use some of the best photographers in New York and, and the best for, musicians. They paid for that. But that didn't, they didn't charge it against your account? Well, they probably did, but I wasn't aware of it. But, but in other words, when you had your Columbia, I've, I've. Let's just say this. Yeah, I've never gotten a royalty check from Columbia <laughs> Records. Okay, I including the first Blood, Sweat, and Tears record, especially <laughs> the first Blood, Sweat, and Tears record. You know, it didn't sell very much compared to all the rest of the Blood, Sweat, and Tears records. Yeah, I know. It's it's more of a. Uh, it did. It did well. It gained sort of notoriety. It's a much loved album. Oh, I know. I yeah. mean, I know that very much. Mm. Um, I would say the two biggest records I did were uh, the Blood, Sweat, and Tears record and the Super Session album. Right, and didn't make any money from either one, except playing live. Well, Super Session, I still, I still get money, oh, you... money for, but I, I'm not going to be able to replace my car <laughs> yeah I, I guess i could see it. and stills probably did stills get a little bit or was oh, he sure okay split three ways okay and uh is it go to bloomfield's estate i guess so yeah god cult that's what i was saying uh, thinking of the mo like movies that were not that popular but they live on and on they become cult favorites and to some extent the first blood sweat and tears record is a little bit of a cult favorite because it's not the most popular but people are very passionate about it. Yes, that's true. From the mail that I get, yeah, yeah, people um, love that album. But the, uh, um, but contrary to sales, mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
uh, all the people that uh, uh, denigrate um, David Clayton Thomas to me and male, yeah, uh, you know, it's not represented in money. <laughs> yeah, right, of course. Right, yeah. Well, you know, I always go back to the fact that I think the only number one song that... Uh, Chuck Berry ever had was my dingling. So what sells and what's great are kind of different, you know. Well, Chuck Berry uh, uh, made his money ultimately from uh, people recording his songs. Yeah, I would say. This has been Coopercast, the Wrecking Crew episode brought to you by Cult Classics. Submit questions for Al at alcooper.com on the Coopercast page.